Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Uh, we are joined by Stephen Clark from SpaceFlightNow.com. And uh, Stephen's based at Kennedy Space Center, where there's always a lot of action. Uh, thanks to SpaceX and NASA, etc. Stephen, good to visit with you. It's been a while. Hey, Steve. Thanks for having me. Yeah, um... First of all, let's get back to that um, monumental launch uh, down in Texas. I understand you visited the site. Were you able to stick around for the actual launch of Starship? I, I was there uh, four miles oh. away from it when it uh, took to the sky back on April 20th. Yeah, it so it made it. Site, uh... Yeah, I, I, I can't imagine. I know you and I have been talking about it now for a long time. It finally did launch. It didn't ultimately make orbit. But uh, tell us what it was like. What what was that moment like? Uh, eventually, they had to destroy uh, the, the ship itself uh, because it started to veer off course, et cetera. It didn't look like it was going to be able to make orbit anyway. But but tell us about, about that experience. Well, I've seen more than 200 launches, Steve, and... Uh, obviously, this was the biggest and most powerful rocket I've ever seen launch because it's the biggest and most powerful that has ever launched in the history of rocketry. So it was a it was a new type of experience for me. I was about four miles away from the launch pad when it took off, uh, just outside of what they call the blast danger area, uh, where they clear all personnel before the launch. And uh, yeah, uh, we saw the the ignition and the, the it was like a uh, anticipation, like the tension uh, among us at the viewing site. There were some news media photographers, some space enthusiasts around me. And just a- after ignition, to see if the thing was actually going to take off uh, and not be ab- aborted or not explode on the launch pad. And as soon as it cleared that tower, uh, there was just uh, like a release of tension and applause. And uh, we saw the rocket climb into some clouds Really, uh, it disappeared from our perspective into the clouds for about a minute. It reappeared later. 
but uh, during that time when we couldn't see it, the uh, the noise, the power of this vehicle was very, very apparent. Uh, it was like I looked down at my pants, and my pants were shaking on my legs. It was, it was, wow. uh, you know, the windows were rattling, and it felt like a thump, a thumping uh, sound in your chest, and it reminded me of um, just claps of thunder over and over and over again for two minutes. Yeah, it, it was an extraordinary sight to watch the video. Ultimately, it reached, what, 24 miles before they had to detonate? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. The flight went uh, for about two minutes until uh, the Starship, the rocket, lost control, and then it started tumbling for a couple of minutes before uh, the self-destruct system basically blew it up. And uh, that was, you know, the self-destruct system is there in case it does fly out of control. They want to blow up the rocket before it can potentially cartwheel around and reach, uh, you know, a town or, or any populated areas. So um, it it was, uh, you know, the, SpaceX learned some things that they're going to have to fix before they try again to launch this rocket. Uh, uh, but they didn't uh, destroy the launch pad, which is what Elon Musk said was one of the main goals before the flight was to get the thing off the pad without blowing it up. Uh, they did sustain some damage to the pad, but uh, they seem optimistic they can fix that in a couple of months. You know, um, I, I'm, I'm not, that seems to be in as many things with SpaceX an aspirational goal, but it certainly, uh, you know, didn't seem as, as bad as uh, SpaceX had feared a worst case scenario. And they learned a lot about how the launch pad responded to the incredible heat and the force of those 33 powerful engines blasting away at the concrete below the pad. That's something you can't simulate in a laboratory. And they also learned a lot about how the, how the vehicle performs in flight. And it was a learning exercise. First and foremost, it was a test flight. Ultimately, uh, while they figure out those things, they're going to need permission again from the federal government. It was a long time coming. And there were concerns among the neighbors, environmentalists, et cetera, because, as you pointed out, the power of the launch, if anybody's seen the video, saw it live, or uh, I, I, I'm sure there, there's a number of sites where you can, you know, go. I, and I don't know if you have uh, video of it still at spaceflightnow.com, Stephen, but nevertheless, it kicked up a lot of debris. Yeah, yeah. The uh, there's some video from SpaceX and as well as some news media photographers who had cameras around the site, including our own photographer. You can see, you know, bl- blocks of concrete that are the size of uh, of you know a you know sofa seat or or a, a reclining chair uh, in your living room being thrown away from the launch pad more than a thousand feet at over 100 miles per hour uh, into the wetlands and into the ocean. And uh, that I think that was the big learning uh, thing from from SpaceX. You know, the rocket itself, they really didn't. You know, they would have been thrilled if it had reached space and reached orbit, but that wasn't really an expectation on this flight because there's so much that can go wrong. Um, but I think one of the big things they learned was they're going to have to beef up the launch pad. And they spent the last few months. Uh, you know, the rocket has been ready to fly uh, for a few months. Uh, certainly since the beginning of the year, January time frame. But they spent those three months between January and uh, and February beefing up the launch pad to try to, you know, they knew that was going to be a concern to try to uh, make the 
uh, launch pad and all the structures on the ground, the tanks more robust to any damage. And it certainly, you know, it seems like that was a good good idea because if they hadn't done that, it could have been even worse. Um, mm. But they're going to have to do more of that before they fly again. Yeah, and one of the things maybe people have seen when a large rocket, in, including uh, Artemis One, flew out of Kennedy Space Center, and then uh, videos of Saturn V launches during the Apollo program, that there's that gigantic flame trench. And, yep. you know, they, they shoot water down into this trench. So when these gigantic rockets launch, it helps kind of mitigate some of the impacts. Is there a chance that they're going to retrofit or have to build some sort of uh, physical mechanism like this to help, you know, at least limit the damage and, and limit, limit the debris field from a rocket like this? So Elon Musk, uh, in in the days since this launch uh, a few weeks ago, he said that the plan before the next launch is to install a, a huge, massive steel plate uh, underneath the pedestal that the rocket sits on. So you mentioned a lot of rockets, including the Saturn V from the Apollo era and even SpaceX's own launch pads here in Florida for the Falcon 9 and Falcon Heavy have flame trenches that divert all of that energy and all of that hot exhaust and all of that force away from the launch pad out into, you know, a, a catchment area, basically into open air, away from the launch pad to prevent damage. Uh, SpaceX for Starship has the rocket sitting on a pedestal that's a few stories above the ground. So the base of the rocket is actually sitting a few stories oh, sure. above ground level. And um, the plan before the ne- before the, for for this previous launch, they just had a uh, a, a slab of reinforced concrete below the pad, and that was really more or less destroyed by the by this blast of the rocket lifting off. They're going okay. to car- excavate that area, put in a steel plate that's uh, supposed to be more robust against those uh, forces from the rocket engine exhaust, and the steel plate is actually going to have uh, water cooling capability where water will be flowing through parts of that steel plate to keep it from the risk of melting or becoming um, less robust by that heat wow. from the rocket engines. And so that that's going to be put in over the next few weeks to a couple of months before they fly again. And they're optimistic that's going to work. Uh, I don't think they really want to have to dig a flame trench. I guess that's still something that they might have to do if the steel plate solution doesn't work, because that would potentially require even an additional environmental review by the federal regulators and would take some number of months to to dig and to uh, get ready to f- for another launch. All right. Uh, final thought on this before we take a quick break, Stephen. Um, how optimistic are you? I mean, you do this all day, every day, and uh, do a ton of work at spaceflightnow.com based at Kennedy Space Center. Um, you, you make it sound like two months a little optimistic, but do you think at some point this calendar year they will make another attempt? And will they get permission I, I, to make that attempt? I, I think I think there's a really good chance they'll make another attempt this year. Um, I okay. think it's more likely to be in the late summer or fall time frame uh, at this point. But um, I, I, the the vehicles they have the vehicles the launch vehicle is uh, for the next test flight is more or less ready to go. Uh, so it's just preparing the launch pad and trying to. Uh, make the launch pad more robust against damage. And, okay. and uh, okay. 
you know, and they want to, they do want to launch again because they have to prove the thing can get to space and into orbit. Uh, and then after that will come a number of flights where they're probably going to be testing, you know, fly test fail on landing attempts to try to recover the rocket because this is going to be eventually fully reusable. Wow. Uh, more with Stephen Clark, space flight now in a moment here on News Talk, K3OWCCO. Uh, they are flying rockets, including more uh, satellites for their Starlink constellation, and a, a big launch, a complicated launch, for an actual competitor of uh, Starlink. This, this was a gigantic communication satellite that was launched on a Falcon Heavy rocket. Maybe you saw that. We'll, we'll get into that with Stephen in a moment here on News Talk. A3OWCCO. Stephen Clark joins SpaceFlightNow.com. He's based out of Kennedy Space Center, and I check his site often. And it has been a busy spot. SpaceX continues to launch at an amazing rate. And and there are others in this business, but right now SpaceX is, is flat-out dominating. We talked about what went on with Starship, and uh, they continue to move forward on that program. Uh, but uh, they have a robust program led by the Falcon 9, and then beyond that, Falcon Heavy. They had a big week. Yeah, in, indeed. They had uh, Falcon Heavy launch on Sunday uh, night, uh, six, day, six days ago from here at Kennedy Space Center. And you mentioned that in the tease before uh, uh, at the end of the last segment. Uh, that Falcon Heavy, uh, which is – Basically, three Falcon 9 rockets bolted together uh, carried a satellite of the size of a, a small a small bus into an orbit more than 20,000 miles above the Earth. It was perhaps one of the most uh, demanding missions uh, from a techno- technical perspective that SpaceX has ever executed. And um, just placing a satellite of that mass into that high of an altitude, you know, we, we've seen the Falcon Heavy launch a uh, Tesla Roadster into uh, into interplanetary space, uh, orbiting out uh, near the distance of Mars. That was a difficult mission uh, too. Uh, a few years ago, on a, on the Falcon Heavy's first flight, some of you may, uh, your listeners may remember that. But uh, this particular mission, with the size of the spacecraft going to 20,000 miles, actually re- actually required uh, all of the fuel on board this huge Falcon Heavy uh, to do that job. And SpaceX was even not able to. Uh, recover any of the boosters from the first stage, and that's something that SpaceX uh, likes to do. They like to recover their rockets after every mission to reuse them uh, uh, to save time and save save uh, uh, costs. But they weren't able to do that on this mission, and the payload on this mission was a, a large Internet satellite for a company called Viasat, and uh, that's one of the big competitors uh, for uh, against SpaceX's own Starlink Internet network, to provide a broadband connectivity from space, so we're seeing SpaceX's competitors in the uh, in the satellite business come to them uh, yeah. to launch their satellites. We saw OneWeb do that. It's another competitor in the internet from space business, uh, Viasat, and then uh, Hughes Network Systems will be doing it again later this year on another Falcon Heavy, another big internet satellite. Uh, so SpaceX is the only U.S. company this year that has reached orbit. Um, their main rivals, United Launch Alliance, have, hasn't launched a mission this year. We've seen a couple of new startups uh, try to launch small rockets into orbit on test flights this year. They have not reached orbit successfully on those test flights. So 
in the U.S. launch business so far this year, it's uh, SpaceX or bust. Yeah, and it is incredible. I would assume built into the cost was the fact that, oh, by the way, all three of the boosters on this Falcon Heavy won't be returned. So I'm sure uh, that 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 company was charged for that, as you pointed out. Um, I, I would assume the cost of the launch is much less if they're able to recover that first stage. Exactly. You can, you can amortize the cost of uh, yep. the booster over 10, 15 missions if you recover the, the boosters. So SpaceX, we do know, does charge a premium. We don't know how much that hasn't been publicized, but they do charge more money for the customers that need that extra performance from the rocket. Yeah, it, it is extraordinary. A couple of headlines. It, it looks like uh, a private mission uh, aboard a Dragon capsule that would fly in a Falcon 9 rocket uh, has been delayed a bit. Tell us a little bit more about that. Well, that that mission is uh, called Polaris Dawn, and uh, some of your listeners, you probably remember, certainly a couple of years ago, a billionaire named Jared Isaacman uh, flew a fully private mission into orbit on a on a SpaceX Dragon spacecraft on a Falcon 9 rocket as sort of a, uh, a charity uh, fundraising mission sure. for St. Jude's uh, uh, Medical Research uh, Center. But uh, this upcoming mission is, is he's going to be flying again on a Dragon spacecraft, and he's recruited a former Air Force test pilot and two SpaceX engineers to go with him, and they're going to attempt uh, the first commercial spacewalk. He's actually going to leave the capsule in a spacesuit, and it'll be the first time a spacewalk has ever been done by a non-government astronaut. And uh, the delays associated with this has been the finishing up the development and qualification of this new spacesuit that SpaceX has developed to protect Jared Isaacman when he goes outside. And it's a deri- it's derived from the suits that the astronauts wear inside the capsule. But when you go outside the capsule, you need additional uh, protection from uh, potential hits from space junk or tiny, you know, micrometeoroids as they're called, any pebbles or bits of space wow. debris floating around in, in orbit. And you also need a, a umbilical that uh, will feed you power and air from the capsule out to a certain distance from the spacecraft. So those are some of the new innovations in the suit that's you know, taking a little bit longer to develop uh, than originally expected, but it's uh, something like it has never been done by a private company before, so it's another first. Yeah, and what, what's extraordinary about that as well is I believe the, this you know, would be a first attempt to do something like this from that capsule, and having that technology is important if SpaceX ever decides to build its own uh, orbiting platform, if you will. They would need to have this technology, if you will, uh, on their resume, that that they actually can send people out and do work outside, so to speak, in the vacuum of space. Exactly. You're exactly right. And and these spacesuits that are used for spacewalks are probably more accurately described as single-person spacecraft. Because they have to provide cooling, water, um, you know, yet you have to provide power, uh, all this capability to support the person inside for a number of hours outside the spacecraft. And um, we've seen reports from, you know, NASA is trying to go back to the moon with the Artemis program. And the two um, most, two areas that need the most work for that to happen are a lander to land on the moon, which SpaceX is developing uh, with the Starship rocket, and then a spacesuit. Uh, so those are the two main things that uh, could delay 
the return of humans to the moon, uh, you know, you think of a lander, that's all kind of obvious, but a lot of people don't think about the spacesuit. You need to have a spacesuit that is qualified to, to walk on the moon and is more flexible than the suits that NASA astronauts currently wear when they're going outside the space station, which are 40 years old in many cases. Uh, so a new spacesuit, uh, not only is this the first private company to, to develop a new uh, spacewalking suit with SpaceX doing it, it hasn't been done by anybody really from scratch in, wow. in 40 years. Well, Stephen, always good to visit with you before I let you go real quick. What are the headlines? What are the things to look for in the coming couple of weeks? I think one thing to look forward to uh, certainly this month is the uh, the next crew launch to the space station. It's a fully private, fully commercial uh, mission uh, in partnership between NASA, uh, a company called Axiom Space, mm. SpaceX, which will be launching the mission and the government of Saudi Arabia. So it'll be the first two uh, Saudi Arabian astronauts to go to the International Space Station for about 10 days or so. And it's uh, also on board as, as a, a wealthy uh, entrepreneur, U.S. American businessman who's bought his seat uh, on the Dragon spacecraft, and it's commanded by a very decorated veteran, a NASA astronaut named Peggy Whitson. And so they're going to be going up to the space station for about 10 days uh, later this month, launching from here at Kennedy Space Center with SpaceX. All right. Well, Stephen, always good to visit with you once again. Stephen Clark from SpaceFlightNow.com joining us on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline on this Saturday. Have, have a good day. Yeah, you too. Thank you. All right. Stephen Clark. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.